This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au Well, good morning church. How's everyone doing today? Good. Great to hear those conversations happening. We can continue those over lunch together at Filter. Is that, is that where we're going after lunch? At Filter Brewery down the road? Great. It would be great to see you there. Hey, I want to add my welcome to Esther's. It is great to see you here this morning. My name is Matt, lead pastor here at Anchor City, and uh, had the wonderful privilege of being lead pastor of this church for the last almost nine years as we'll celebrate our ninth birthday this year. If you're new or visiting, welcome. We love having new people here. If you're considering making this your home church, your family, you've come on a great week because you're going to hear a lot about who we are, why we do what we do, how we roll. Today's a little bit like looking under the bonnet of a car and seeing underneath the hood and figuring out how things work. And really Vision Sunday is a a two-part thing. So if you're here this week, you need to come back next week. I'm actually really excited about next week. I found it hard to focus on this week's message because I kept my head kept going to next week's message. So next week, we're going to start to look forward. As uh, I, I'm going to talk about a number of shifts I think we need to make ahead of this year in 2023. But this week, we're looking backwards. We're going back to the original vision that first birthed this church why we do what we do, what makes us tick, why we exist, what is our purpose and reason for existence. And so I'm going to pray for us and ask that God would speak to us this morning powerfully through His Word. Would you join me? Let's pray together. Father, we thank You that You are the God who is pictured like the Father in Luke 15, the God who runs out to meet His wayward Son, that You would scoop up Your robe and run and hug and kiss your lost child who has come home. Father, we believe that that is a picture of your heart. That as you look out across our city, you long to see those who are your children called home. And Father, I pray that you would help us to capture a vision of what it means to be your people here in this city, in this part of Sydney. A faithful presence, an outpost of your kingdom. God, I pray that you would stir our hearts and align our passions and desires and vision for this year with the things that you care about, with the things that are most important to your heart, with the things that you are driving history towards. Holy Spirit, I pray now that you would work powerfully in our midst and align us. Make this church a church of one heart, one mind, one vision. We pray this in Jesus' strong name and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. You know, this church started in January of 2014 with a small group of 17 people meeting in a two-bedroom apartment in Erskineville, praying for a move of God in this city. And as I look back nine years ago on what happened that first Sunday, we, we, before we started meeting in our living room, we were meeting under a tree at Sydney Park, just over the road there in the park and hanging out together, doing life together. There's something beautiful about church in a living room. There's something about that DNA that we've never wanted to lose. That as we gather here in a larger group together, church is more than just what happens here on a Sunday morning for an hour and or however long I prepare to speak for on a Sunday. But church is so much more than that. As James has already mentioned this morning, we are a family to belong to. And there's something about that original DNA of church in a living room that we never want to lose. But we had a a big, bold, expansive dream for what God would do with a small group of broken people who are filled with faith and believed in the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus. So nine years ago, we prayed for a move of God in this city. And the thing that stirred us to first plant Anchor Church was not about theological expansionism or trying to expand some denomination or you know, trying to build a theological platform for some particular philosophy of ministry or trying to build a following or just get a big crowd in the room. None of those things were the things that inspired us to originally plant this church. We wanted to see a people who were activated and engaged in the mission of God. People who were 
moving from being spectators in pews to engaged in the mission of Jesus in their nine to five. As you leave the church building on a Sunday, whatever gathering space that we're in, that you are empowered and filled up and sent out to be God's representative, Jesus' hands and feet in your nine to five. And together as a community, that we would be seeking to love and bless and reach our neighborhoods, our neighbors, our sporting teams, our families and those around us. We wanted to see a church that was both theologically rich and missionally effective. Right? For so long, I had looked at churches and saw them doing one of those two things well. Right? Church was either so steep, rich, deep in the Word of God, but irrelevant to the culture around them. And then at the opposite end of the spectrum, churches were so relevant that at times they were unfaithful to the Scriptures of God. And we longed to see a church would hold those two things together in tension. We wanted to see a church where people's love for Jesus would be infectious and just overflow into their lives. The people would be gathered together in genuine, authentic, real communities that would be a magnet to the watching world around us as we lived our lives together, where we would live lives of such extraordinary nature that our watching world would demand an explanation as to why we suffer the way we do, why we are generous the way we do, why we use our time the way we do, why we're nice, why there is joy that seems to transcend a circumstance of trial, suffering and pain in our lives, that our lives would be lived in such a way that those around us would look at us and demand an explanation for why we are so different, perhaps even weird. We long to see a church where we would be humble, and holy, and yet hungry for God, and ambitious about His glory and renown on the face of this earth. So we planted Anchor Church all those years ago to see those who are far from God come and find home here. And to see those who are gathered in the Father's house to be formed into the likeness of Jesus, and strengthened and empowered and sent as everyday missionaries. That is what started this thing. And that same vision is what drives us today. Now, one of the things that all church planters do when they seek to, you know, gather a team and raise support for their vision is to tell you all of the statistics about church decline. I remember, and, you know, often we'll stand before church and talk about how the church is in decline and there is the rising increase of those who are taking no religion on the census and the church is aging, like 64% of the church in Australia is over the age of 50 and there's a missing demographic in the church today and some of those stats are still true. But there are some stats that are beginning to emerge here in Australia that are promising and exciting. Stats like after seven decades of decline, the church in Australia has finally plateaued. Now you might think, well, I mean, plateau, that's, I mean, come on, like, are we celebrating plateau right here? Well, yeah, after seven decades of decline, plateau is a good sign, right? Because it, it means that the decline has stopped. And there are many who prayerfully and hopefully believe that we're in a season where things will begin to increase again. Yes. The percentage of those who continue to, to tick or click no religion on the census is increasing. But that probably says to us that nominal Christianity here in Australia has died out. And there is still a vibrant, growing, strong, healthy community of faith here in our nation and in our city. In fact, there's some recent research that has said 21% of Australians said that they attended church at least monthly. That's that's regular these days, going to church once a month. And I'll have something to say about that in a moment. But 21% of Australians said that they attended church regularly in 2021. Now, that is a staggering consideration after the last three years of of COVID we've had. Now, to be fair, church was really easy to attend for a while because you just turned your TV on and logged in and washed from the comfort of your living room. So perhaps there's some COVID inflation here. But the thing is, what they found is that there's been an increase in church attendance over the last couple of years here in Australia. And in fact, the younger the demographic, the more frequent you attended. Now, again, perhaps some COVID inflation there because the elderly population are more cautious about gathering in large groups. But the younger you are, the more likely you are to attend church. Now, in fact, 
There is a generation who are spiritually hungry with an openness and a curiosity to God like they have never been before. And the younger you get, the more open and curious you become. All of these stats are emerging out of multiple forms of research here in Australia. People are interested in prayer like they have never been before. There, is a, there was a meteoric rise in the Google search term, how do I pray, or searches around prayer during COVID. We are living through what I hope, believe, and pray is a significant season for God's church here in our country. And so that, all of those stats ought to fill us with a great sense of confidence about the church. And I believe that God has a unique call on our church here at Anchor City in this part of the city with the demographic that we are trying to reach in you know, one of the most secular cities in the world, one of the biggest, one of the most expensive. God is doing something special here in our church with this group of weirdly mixed, broken people who love Jesus and are wrestling with all of the things that we're wrestling with. And God is doing something profound here. Our vision here at Anchor is to do whatever it takes to help the wayward find home. Whatever it takes to help the wayward find home. Now, I realize that that is a grossly reductionistic vision statement for a church. You're like, what about all of the stuff about formation and discipleship and community and all of the other things that are church about worship? Yes, I realize all of those things are true. But we believe that God has a unique call on our church to be reaching a part of our city where church attendance and religious affiliation is probably the lowest in the nation, other than one suburb in Canberra. We live in a pocket of the city where almost 66% of people take no religion on the census. There is a missional imperative to this church that is perhaps slightly more urgent than churches in the Bible belts of Sydney, southwest Sydney, the Shire, the Hills areas. We believe that God has called our church to be missionally faithful here in the inner city, in the inner part of Sydney. So our vision is for a particular group of people, the wayward, those who are far from God, those who are perhaps have grown up in church but have walked away from church over a period of time, the deconstructors, the wayward, the doubters, the, the spiritual battlers. And for those who have never set foot in a church building, for those who have not grown up in church circles at all but are hungry for a sense of transcendence, purpose, meaning, and want to know who their maker and creator is. We want to be the type of church that reaches those people. And perhaps you're sitting here in the room, you're like, well, that's me. Great. We are so glad that you are here. And many of you have had that story. Either walked away from church for a long period of time and come back or have never grown up in church and you have found your spiritual home here at Anchor. We want to be a church for those who are far from God. And we have a sense of urgency, right? That phrase, whatever it takes, gives us a sense of urgency about the mission that Jesus has called us to. I never want our church to be in a position where we are satisfied with four and a half million people in our city who do not know the love of God, who are facing a Christless eternity, who are without God and without hope. And we're comfortable, cozy and cushy in our safe, holy huddle here that we call church. I never want us to be the type of church that is satisfied with that. And so that phrase, whatever it takes, I realize you put that into Instagram, it's all about fitness, right? It's whatever it takes, you know, my, I'm going to achieve my goals, I'm going to hit the, right? But, but it's to stir a sense of urgency in us about reaching our city. But what are we drawing people to? Our dream and hope is that we would draw people to a beautiful, rich, authentic community. We want to help people find home. That picture of the, the prodigal son returning home to the father in Luke 15 is what we want to see happening. People finding home, real, authentic, genuine community. And that means that the type of church that we build here is really important. And so we want to do whatever it takes to bring the wayward or to help the wayward find home. Now, every single church, it doesn't matter who they are, what flavor, what denomination, what brand, charismatic, conservative, what every single church that is faithful to Jesus ought to be about making disciples of Jesus to the glory of God, right? That, that ought to be the purpose of existence for every single church. But as we look at the scriptures, who are we? Who, who are the people of God? What is the church? And how does God see us? 
Not how does our culture look at us and, and see a, a social club that's perhaps bent and slightly irrelevant. Now, how does, how does our Father see what is happening here in this community? What do the Scriptures say about us? Well, God says that we are a chosen people. 1 Peter 2 verse 9, that we're a chosen, called out, special people. We matter to God. He cares about what is happening here. He cares about this community and He has purchased us. And He has made us a holy, distinct, countercultural, set apart people that we are to live lives that are radically different to the world around us. He has called us a royal priesthood. The task of the priest in the Old Testament was to be a mediator, a go-between, who would stand between the people and God and draw God to the people and the people to God. And, and God gives us this beautiful royal title of being priests to a watching world to draw people to God. The church is the people who are formed in the ways of Jesus. That we're a people who would learn to live and love like Him for the sake of our city. We are an outpost of the glory of God, the kingdom of God here on earth, the place where God will demonstrate and show off to the principalities and powers His manifold wisdom, His glory, that it is screamed throughout the ages, look at what my grace has achieved. The church is described as Jesus' bride, a people that He is gathering to Himself, whom He is making free from blemish, wrinkle, spot or stain to be united with her bridegroom on the final day of the wedding feast. The church is Jesus' body, himself the head whom he gives life to. The church is God's family where God is our father. Jesus is our older brother. The Holy Spirit is our friend, advocate and paraclete and every single other Christian is your brother or sister in Christ. The church, as Les Newbegin says, is an instrument and foretaste of God's kingdom. The very people that God is using to demonstrate to this world what our future will look like. Now that is a beautiful picture of what it means to be God's people. Broken, messy people like me and you. Called, drawn together into God's family to live a radical countercultural life that looks like Jesus in order to bring the blessings of the kingdom to a world that so desperately needs to hear about our maker, God and saviour. That's who we are. That's what it means to be a part of Anchor Church at the broadest level. There is no church on the face of the planet that does not have that at the core of its DNA. That is who we are. We are not a social club. We're not a self-help group. We're not a religious association. We are the people of God. And that means that we are at the very centre of God's purposes for this world. We are at the very centre of God's purposes for human history. God chooses to use us. And Ephesians 3.21 tells us that the church will glorify God, that God will see His glory made manifest through the church. Now, when we say the word church, we think institution, right? Don't think think the people that are sitting in this room. God is going to see His name glorified through the people sitting in this room. That is a staggering reality. That is who we are. That is why we exist. But what about us here at Anchor Church? What are we doing? How are we playing our part in seeing all things made new? How are we playing our part in being God's family, His bride, His body, His hands and feet, an instrument and foretaste of His kingdom? Well, this morning, I want to walk you through our five focuses that perhaps have been bubbling beneath the surface. If you've done growth track and joined our church recently, some of this will be familiar for you. But here are the five strategic focuses of our church, the five things that we believe we are trying to do to see the way we'd find home here at Anchor. The five things are this, authentic community. We're building authentic community. We are making emotionally healthy disciples. We are creating inspiring gatherings as we gather together for worship. We are making everyday missionaries, everyday missionaries. And finally, we're on about multiplication. And there's a few other nuances in there. But I want to touch on those five things this morning. 
We're about building an authentic community. So much of what our GC leaders do contributes to this reality. But this is not just a midweek thing. This is a this is a who we are thing, right? It doesn't matter where we are gathered, whether we're in a social group, whether we're gathered for Sunday worship, whether we're in our GCs together in a triplet, in a social setting. This is who we are. We are a real, authentic, genuine people. We live in a moment of facade. We live in a moment of watching people's highlight reels and we think that that is normal life and we compare everyone else's highlight reels to our mundane boring life we are living in a moment of the commodification of relationships like I'm I'm just in a relationship for what it delivers to me we also live in a part of our city that is massively transient there's so many people who move to the inner parts of Sydney for career for study and you're here for a few years and then you're back to wherever you came from, or you move on to the next step in your career progression. And for many of you, you've left friends and family at home. You've come here for a season, and all of your connection points have been left behind, perhaps overseas, perhaps in rural New South Wales, or elsewhere in Australia. And this community, this part of our city is radically transient. We also live in a moment of deep pretense, We're all pretending, right? We're all walking around carrying masks because we're so afraid that if people find out who we really are, they won't love us, they won't care for us, they won't like us. And into this cultural moment, God calls us to be the church. We have been created in the image and likeness of a relational God. Theologians call it the dance of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit living in perfect, joyous relationship for all eternity. And so when God creates us in His image and likeness, He creates us as relational beings made for real relationship, connection with other people. That's why governments are pouring money into loneliness, right? Loneliness is a significant problem. In fact, in a European country last year, they appointed the Minister for Loneliness or for the Minister for Community or something like that to address the problem of loneliness. God has not created us to dwell in isolation. There are no solo Christians. We are created for community and church is about being family. And one of the beautiful things about the good news of Jesus is that it strips all of the pretense and the fakeness and the facade away because we are set free to be real. When we understand that God sees us with all of our ugliness and all of our sin and all of our brokenness and loves us anyway, like on your worst day, God loves you just the same as on your best. When we understand that our heavenly Father approves of us, Doesn't that just free us to stop the endless cycle of seeking to justify ourselves in front of other people? We are free to be, we're free to be broken people. It's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay there, right? God wants to move us from that. One of the beautiful things about the gospel, it it creates, or at least it ought to create, a community where we are free to be real, authentic. And that means that we need to let the guards down. That means we need to be meaningfully committed to other people. Leslie Newbigin, the great British missiologist, says that the church is the hermeneutic of the gospel. And by that he means that we are a live demonstration of the radical love of God. That the watching world ought to look at us and see the love of God in action. You know, I think we do this in countless ways. But one of the best expressions of this is how our church community provides meals for people who are sick or particularly for those with newborns in their, in their midst. So Tom and Chloe Stewart right now, they have a newborn. There is a meal roster up in our Facebook group and people will cook meals and deliver it around to them. And I, I'm telling you, what happens time and time again, we get feedback from families saying, you know what, my my mother-in-law or my mom or my parents were over there, not believers, but they've been helping us for the last two weeks. And after the, over the last two weeks, 
Our church community has turned up with meals and ice cream and flowers and Uber Eats vouchers. And they have blessed us in such a staggering way that our family is looking on and thinking, what type of church is this? There are countless ways that we are doing that in our community. What we need and what our world so desperately longs for is a place to be who we really are and to be known and to be loved and to be accepted and to be stretched and to be held accountable and to be formed into the likeness of Jesus together. Now, whether our world recognizes that or not, that is what we have all been created for, community shaped into the image of Jesus together. Formation is a community project. You cannot be formed into the image of Christ on your own. We do this together as we build authentic, real, genuine community. Secondly, we're on about making emotionally healthy disciples. Emotionally healthy disciples. We live in a moment in a generation that is battling with mental health and emotional health like never before. People are calling it an epidemic, a plague. It, it is plaguing everyone. It's not just, you know, like millennials, Gen Y, Gen Z. It, it's everyone. Like it, it is affecting people who are, who are well into their 70s. We are hearing of record numbers of pastors across churches resigning on stress leave, retiring because of mental health crisis that is striking us. Now, all of this was here before COVID. COVID was just the accelerant that poured fuel onto already raging fire that was there. We are busy, distracted, insecure, apathetic, and exhausted as a culture. Now, maybe not all the time. Maybe that's not an apt description. You might think, well, actually, I do have a bit of energy and a bit of drive, and, and I do have good boundaries in my life. But as a general stereotype of our culture and in our moment, Busy, distracted, insecure, apathetic, and exhausted is a pretty apt description of where people find themselves. And yet we believe that Jesus calls us to what? In John 10, verse 10. Someone tell me the verse. To what? John 10, 10. Come on. To life and life more abundantly. One of the, um, and I'll mention this next week, but one of the New York Times articles that came out to describe this moment that we find ourselves in post-COVID is what they call languishing. We're not quite depressed, but we're not kicking goals. We believe that God calls us to life and life more abundantly or life to its fullest. We want to be a church that makes emotionally healthy disciples. Now, emotionally healthy discipleship is not just about shoving as much intellectual knowledge as we can possibly cram into your head punching in there and hoping that somehow, magically, all of your problems are going to go away and you're going to change and be like Jesus, right? For so much of our church experience in the Western world, we've adopted this concept of information transfer equals formation. The problem with that is it's not the Hebrew way, it's not the biblical way, it's not the way that Jesus formed disciples. We have already seen that discipleship happens in the context of community. But we want to be about holistic disciples, head, heart, hands, entire formation. And being a Christian is not just something that we believe, although the thing that we believe is very important. It's about becoming someone. Being a Christian is not just about something we believe. It's about becoming someone. It's about being formed into the image of Jesus. Christianity isn't a belief system. It's a way of life. And so we want to form healthy, emotionally healthy disciples. Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. I'm, I'm going to jump around a lot, a lot today. But Galatians chapter 4, verse 19 says this. Galatians 4, there's no, there's no verses on the screen. So just bear with me. 4.19 says this. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I'm perplexed about it. This is Paul writing to the church in Galatia who is forsaking the gospel and turning aside to other gospels, a Jesus plus gospel, a gospel that says you need to believe in Jesus and do this thing to be saved. And Paul is saying, my my." 
pain, my anguish, my yearning, my effort is that Christ would be formed in you. He says the same thing in Colossians 1 verse 28 and 29, that he labors with all of the might that God gives him, that we would be mature in Christ, holistically formed people, emotionally healthy disciples, that there would be something about a community of faith that cares for each other, that shoulders each other's burdens, that points us to the realities of the gospel, that acts as a buffer against the, the chaos in this world, that we would be a people of such deep faith and trust in Jesus, that despite the storms that are happening in our world, we can be a people that would walk confidently and our, our colleagues and friends and family look on and say, how can you live like this? You should be depressed like the rest of us. And we say, yes, but we are different because we've been formed like Jesus in the context of a community. Thirdly, inspiring gatherings. The churches are people who are formed by the Word of God, are people under the Word of God. We do not sit over the Word of God. We sit underneath it as our authority. And the Word will always be central here at Anchor Church. You, you do not come to church to hear the thoughts of the person on the stage. The task of the preacher is to lay bare the truths of God's Word and apply them to your hearts. And Sunday worship, for whatever reason, has increasingly become an optional extra in the Christian life. Now, I think one of the things that we've sought to course correct over the years here at Anchor is because we emphasize so much the sent people of God almost to the detriment of the gathered people of God, right? We will, you will leave here today and Esther, hopefully, if she's read the notes that are in the thing, will say, go and be the church. Every week, the, the MC says, now go and be the church, right? That's not an accident, right? It's there as a part of our liturgy, as a part of a way that we want to form people because we believe that the church, we don't stop being the church when you walk out the door. We are the church and we're... We're strengthened, empowered, and formed in here, and we're sent out to be God's people in the city as the church during the week. But one of the things that we have done here is emphasize the sentness of God's people to the detriment of the gathered people. And so we've had a course correct over the years. So when I say, no, no, Sundays are important. And then COVID came and Sundays just disappeared. Like every, there are a lot of churches who have zero midweek ministry, no small groups. It's just about Sundays. And the sacred cow got sacrificed when COVID happened, right? Churches didn't know what to do. And here at Anchor, we had this beautiful, rich community, gospel communities. We became a house church movement, 20-something house churches gathering in homes, just kept humming along because there was something rich about it. But here's the thing. There is a decrease in Sunday worship attendance. And I think that that is going to kill the church if we continue to downplay the significance of this gathering. There is something formational about gathering together as God's people. As God's people coming together, we believe that God is present with us in a unique way that He is not present when we are by ourselves. We believe that there is something powerful about the people of God gathered under the Word of God submitting themselves to the authority of Jesus as he exercises his leadership of his church through this book, not through the personality of a leader, but through his word, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, as we worship together in community, there is something formational about this thing that is happening right here today. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 tells us this. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. That was the favorite verse of every pastor after COVID, right? Churches are back, Hebrews 10, right? And I'm not sure that's what the author of the Hebrews meant when he penned that. But I think what he is saying is there is something formational about the gathered people of God together that is essential to what it means to be who we are. We cannot be solo Christians. We cannot be Christians in isolation. And God is present doing a work here as we gather together as His people in a profound way. I read this quote um, last year from Eugene Peterson's book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. If you've not read it, it's, a, it's an incredible book. But he said this, and he, this book was written ages ago, right? Peterson has since recently died. But he said this, and I just thought, man, this is 
so apt for our current moment and generation. He says this, In the age of sensation, we think that if we don't feel something, there can be no authenticity in doing it. Do you resonate with that? We think that if we don't feel something, there can be no authenticity in doing it. But the wisdom of God says something different. We can act ourselves into a new way of feeling much quicker than we can feel our way into a new way of acting. Worship, and by worship he means gathering together as God's people on a Sunday. Corporate worship is an act that develops feelings for God, not a feeling for God that is expressed as an act of worship. When we obey the command to praise God in worship, our deep, essential need to be in relationship with God is nurtured. Get this, he says, worship does not satisfy our hunger for God, it whets our appetite. Now, I think that is a prophetic word for the church of God in, in our current moment. As we seek to come out of COVID, out of you know, church from the living room and figure out what it means to be God's gathered people together, whether it's in this room or in a living room on a Wednesday night in a gospel community, there is something profoundly powerful, formational about it that I think we miss if we have a casual commitment to the community of God's people. We have a casual commitment to Sunday attendance, we have casual commitment to gospel communities. We believe that gathering together as God's people is profoundly important. One of the things that is the center of the people of God, and it has been ever since God's people gathered at the foot of Mount Sinai where God spoke and delivered the Ten Commandments, is that the people of God sit under the Word of God. And see, one of our strategic points here at Anchor is about prophetic preaching. And our hope is that what you hear from this platform and pulpit is the type of preaching that doesn't just fill our heads with knowledge, but equips you to live as a missionary in the everyday as you walk outside of these doors. The type of preaching that is able to deconstruct our secular worldview and reconstruct a biblical worldview in the place. The type of preaching that engages the doubt of the deconstructor, the spiritual battler, those who are wayward and far from God. The type of preaching that strengthens and builds up and empowers and forms God's people. We want this preaching to be practical, relevant, rich theologically. It's the type of preaching that we hope inspires and sends out God's people. As we gather together on Sundays or in a gospel community, my hope that that verse from uh, 1 Corinthians 14 came to mind. You know that verse where Paul's talking about the church and it's like, guys, you're crazy. Everyone's speaking in tongues. Everyone's got a word. There's no order. It's chaos. But he says this as a part of his justification for what he's trying to say. He says, imagine if an unbeliever walks into your midst. He says, if you are doing things that edified and built up and strengthened the church, an unbeliever would walk in, feel the conviction of the Spirit and say, surely God is present here. That's our hope. That everyone, in fact, believer, unbeliever, seeker, would walk into our gospel communities or walk into this room and say, yes, God is present here. The presence of God is here. This is a people who are clearly different to the world around us. And there is something that is happening here that is beyond what I can explain. God is present here. Inspiring gatherings. Number four, how am I doing for time? All right, let me put the foot down. Number four, everyday missionaries. We want to be discipling everyday missionaries. We know that if 21% of people attend church regularly once a month, right, that leaves 79% of people that do not attend church at all. 79% of people in our culture will not set foot in a church on Sunday to hear the gospel proclaimed, to see the love of God in action. And so that means if we simply have a come to us strategy, we're only going to reach the 21% of people who are already coming. We need a go to them strategy. We need a gather strategy to be fair and we need a send and scatter strategy. Mission is not just something that Scotty and Ruth do in the Philippines as they reach unreached people groups in the hills of Portugalera. Mission is what God is doing in this world and includes every single one of us in that. We are missionaries in the everyday stuff of life. We are alerting everyone, everywhere to the universal reign of God in Christ. And Paul describes this task so beautifully in 2 Corinthians chapter 
5, verse something or other, he, say, he says this, so compelled by the love of God, right? We're compelled to persuade people, compelled by the love of God. He says this, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We have a ministry of reconciliation to call people back to their father, to call the wayward to find home, to call people back into community. That is who we are. And we do this not just in an hour and a half on a Sunday, not just with one professional preacher paid to preach the gospel. This is something that every single one of us who is filled with the Spirit of God, empowered on your Monday to do. Now, sure, you don't do it in the way that I'm doing it here. It's not a monologue. It's a dialogue. There's a whole bunch of stuff that goes with that. But we want to be about building everyday missionaries. Finally, we're about multiplication. Embedded at the very heart of the Great Commission. Remember the Great Commission, that like the, the Jesus' last words. We want to make the last words of Jesus our first priority. But embedded at the heart of the Great Commission is an expansive vision for multiplication. He says, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now, surely a part of that teaching was about what it meant to follow Jesus and do the things that Jesus did. And Jesus devoted his life to making and forming new disciples. At the very heart of the Great Commission is disciples who would go and make disciples, 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 who would go and make disciples. It's about multiplication. And it's not just the, the thing that Jesus left the church with, it's the strategy that Paul had. In 2 Timothy 2.2, Paul, to his young apprentice Timothy, says this, And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. So from Paul to Timothy to reliable people who will then pass that message on to others. This is about multiplication of disciples. The thing that I'm always staggered by as I read the, the gospel narratives is that Jesus spent almost all of his time exclusively with just 12 people. Why is that? Just 12 people. Now, yes, he, he preached to the crowds, but the bulk of Jesus' time was spent with a very small group of people. And the reason is at the very heart of what Jesus saw being birthed out of that small group of 11, by the end of it, 11 disciples was a movement that would change the world because at the center of the strategy of Jesus of making disciples was this concept of multiplication, that you would go and do the same thing that Jesus did, make disciples. We want to be a church where that multiplication is embedded across every facet of what we're doing. Disciples making disciples, gospel communities starting new gospel communities and churches planting churches. That is our dream. That's our hope. And we've been doing that. As I look back over the last nine years, I'm so thankful and grateful to what God has done in our church because we have countless stories of people who have moved from death to life, the wayward who have found home. This church started with just four gospel communities scattered across the city and inner west, just four. We had six people in each group when we first started. Now at City, I think we have 12 Northern Beaches are about to do, I don't know, a thousand. I think they've got five and they're about to do a sixth. And Southwest has four, they're about to do a fifth. We have upwards of 20 gospel communities scattered across our city and three churches seeking to live out this extraordinary, extraordinary calling to be the people of God. And my call on you today is to play your part in that. This is an exciting invitation by God to say, come, come and be a part of what I'm doing in this world because God's already at work. He's at work in our city and we have an invitation to join Him in what He is doing. So what part can you play? What can you do? I wanna give you some really practical next steps of what you can do. The first is you can be with Jesus. You can take ownership of your own personal discipleship of Jesus and be with Jesus to pray and to read the Scriptures and to grow and to learn from Him and to imitate Him and to live His way. Apprentice yourself under your 
Master Jesus. Secondly, we can be family together. If you're not currently in a gospel community, or if you're not meaningfully committed to a gospel community, and by that I mean like, like you're not just in the WhatsApp group, right, and get all the notifications, like you're there, you're involved, you're making the sacrifice of your time and the sacrifice of your own sense of like, I have to give something of myself to this group. James warned us of this passive spirituality a few weeks ago where we just sit back, we want to receive, we want to be fed, but but genuine real community takes effort, takes buy-in, it takes us initiating, it takes us sacrificing. You be family together, join a gospel community, find two other people to do a gospel triplet with, read the Bible one-to-one with someone and do this life together. Secondly, you can be a servant. You'll find a space to serve here at Anchor. This morning on those next step QR codes, the little little business card size ones, there is a QR code there that you can scan and you can sign up your interest to serve on a team. Here at Anchor, we believe that no one does nothing. No No matter how small your part is, no one does nothing. We believe that God has uniquely gifted every single person in this church with a part to play. And that part may not be involved in this Sunday, although it takes a lot of effort to make this Sunday tick. Your part may be involved behind the scenes. Your part may be involved in midweek stuff, but everyone has a part to play. Everyone has a gift. See, the church is not built on the gifts of a few talented people, but on the sacrifices of the many. And I wanna encourage you, if you are currently not serving in a team, to explore the ways that God has uniquely gifted you, wired you, the things that He has made you passionate about and how they align with the needs of this church and find a way to meaningfully serve. Next week, I want to talk about one of the shifts that we move from being a spectator to a contributor. Find a way to serve here. Be a servant. Fourthly, be generous. On your seats this morning, you'll see a little red brochure there that is about our 2023 budget. Many of you will be aware that last year we had some significant financial challenges that we were facing as a church. We unfortunately had to make James Eyre redundant. We've been able to offer him a position at Southwest and by the grace of God, he is He is fully funded three days a week at Southwest like he was here at City, which just is is an incredible miracle of God's grace. I want to thank every single one of you who have been generous towards James and Bree to allow that to happen. But here at City, we've faced financial challenges. And one of the things that we're working on this year is to help you see what it takes to run this church. So that brochure is for you to take home. Please, I don't want, to, I don't want the pack-up team to hand me a wad of those brochures afterwards and say, here, they, here are all the leftovers. Please take that home and prayerfully consider what financial generosity looks like for you this year. In that brochure, you'll see there that there is a breakdown in budget. There's a breakdown in what it takes for us to own this budget together. $470,000 is what we need over the course of this year in order to meet our budget. And our budget is still a budget deficit this year. So realistically, if we want to have a surplus budget or just break even, you need to look at the expenses side. Now, we have some other means of income that come in other than just the giving of this people. It's not significant, but it's there. But $470,000 is what we need as a church collectively. Break that down. It's just over $10,000 a week is what we need as a church. Now, what part could you play in, in that? And as I've looked at the stats of giving in our church, what I've become to realize is that the notion of tithing 10% is wildly unpopular. It's unpopular in our culture, right? We, I mean, all you have to do is read all of the news reports, you know, the, the current affair things where they pick a church and beat them up for encouraging tithing. And the Christian's like, what? That's just not, like, church has been talking about that for 2,000 years. That's not news. But I've, what I've realized is it's also increasingly unpopular in the church because very few people practice it. And realistically, the, the Old Testament tithe is like, that's the baseline, Right? The New Testament speaks about sacrificial generosity. And where we're at as a church, if we calculate the average weekly income on $1,500 a week, and I realize you might, man, that'd be great if I earned $1,500 a week. We're tithing, we're giving it at about 2.3% of that wage, right? It's about $80,000 a year. 
we're giving it about 2.3%. My suggestion is that is not sacrificial generosity. And, and I realise times are tough. I realise that your rent just like tripled in the last six months. I, I re, like, right, we've, we've felt it as a family. But those things never give us an excuse not to follow Jesus into obedient generosity. And so my challenge to us as a church this year is that we collectively own this together. That the budget is not something that just a few wealthy people in our church prop up, but we all have a part to play. If you call this your church, if, you are, if this is your church family, if you believe in this vision, I want every single one of us just to give something. I don't care how much you give, just something. 44% of our church family were engaged in giving at the end of last year. That means that more than half of us didn't give a cent in the back half of last year. My challenge to us is that where God has enabled you, where God has blessed you, where God has provided means and resources for you, that you prayerfully consider what it looks like to be generous this year, to sow generously into this work. Paul says in 2 Corinthians verse 8, and this is, this is my dream, right? He says this, speaking to a church who is actually struggling financially. He says, but as you, since you excel in everything, right? The Corinthian church, all of the spiritual gifts off the hook, since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, speaking in tongues, in knowledge, in prophecy, in complete earnestness and in love, we have kindled in you. See that you also excel in this grace of giving. Excel in the grace of giving. Yeah, there's many things that we excel in. Uh, we excel in our careers. We excel in our chosen sports and hobbies, but excelling in giving, if that hits many of our you know, goals for the year, I excel in my personal fitness this year. I excel in stewarding my mental health this year. But do we want to give God a personal best in our generosity this year? Do we want to give God a PB in our generosity this year. My challenge to our church is where God has blessed you with the resources and the means to sow sacrificially and generously into this church. Yeah, there's a, a section in um, Samuel where, is it Samuel? Some, it says somewhere in the Old Testament where, where uh, they're seeking to construct the temple. And um, David is trying to generate funds to build the temple and they have Solomon, sorry, he's trying to generate funds to build the temple and they have so much. The people of God bring so much money, they have to go back and say, stop, we have more than enough. Wouldn't it be an incredible thing to say, we have more resources than what we need to see the vision that God has put before us this year. That would be my hope and dream. So I want to encourage you to be generous this year. And finally, to get trained. If we want to do this, if we want to be a part of what God is doing in our city living in authentic community, being an everyday missionary. Those things take intentionality and training. And so where training arises to step into a position of leadership, to be equipped, to be on mission in your nine to five, do the training. All right? Some of the training we are hoping to deliver this year in the form of a podcast that you can listen to on your commute on the way to work. Others will be in person in a room in real life. But part of what it means to be equipped to do this is about being trained. Traditionally, Training is the least, is the most poorly attended thing in our church. We put a training on, like three, three people might turn up for that. But if we want to see this vision played out, we need to be a people who would be trained. So my challenge, how can you play your part? You be with Jesus, nurture your faith, be family together, be a servant, be generous and get trained. Let me close with a, a story. I realize I've spoken way too long, but let me just close with this story. When we first started this church, we were meeting at um, the Pact Center for Emerging Artists over in Erskineville. And there was a young teenage girl. She was in her final year at Newtown Performing Arts. Her name was Annie, and she wandered into church. She'd grown up in a church family, but her experience had been somewhat dysfunctional. And uh, she, she said she'd kind of heard the gospel growing up, but she'd never really heard it, never really hit, never really struck. Now, I don't know whether that was her listening as she was growing up or the way that her church had, had communicated the love of God. But she turned up at anchor and she said, for the first time, I understood, I believed. She joined our, one of our gospel communities, our Ashfield GC, and she was incorporated into a beautiful family that did life together. 
She had older brothers and sisters, aunties and uncles in the faith who took an interest in her, who discipled her, who nurtured her faith. And we had the joy of baptizing her. She was baptized. It was a blubbering mess. She cried the whole way through as she told her story. It was beautiful. We baptized her. And she then brought a friend who was also at school with her along to church. And her friend was not a believer, but she was a seeker. She was interested. She came along. She became a Christian. And she moved to Queensland and she was baptized in the church that she is up there. And I've lost track of her story, but I hope that she's still walking with Jesus. Annie also met her husband, Toby, at our church. He was a backpacker from the UK who came out here to skate with his brothers. And I wandered into our church and spied this sandy, blonde-haired Aussie girl that he fell in love with. And they got married. And they've been trained and equipped for ministry for the last number of years up at Soma Blue Mountains. Toby's at Bible College. And they are being prepared to be sent out to plant a new church. And I just thought as I was reminded of that story, it's a beautiful picture of the trajectory. Now I realize that's not everyone's journey from, you know, like unbeliever to church planter. That not everyone's going to... Not everyone's going to go there. But you all have a story, a journey of where God found you and where He's taking you and where He wants you to be this year. And my encouragement for every single one of you who calls Anchor Church home is to step into this year with a sense of anticipation and excitement about that journey that God is taking you on as you join with Him in seeing all things made new in this world. As we are Jesus' hands and feet, everyday missionaries, together in authentic, real, genuine community for the sake of our city. Well, I want to pray over us. And I really, I really wanted all of our GC leaders and whoever else had opportunity to come forward and pray. And I don't know if any of, do any of the GC leaders have a particular thing that they would love to pray over our church? I just spoke to them out the back and said, if you've got something, come forward. Anyone? Just throw your hand up so I can see you because the lights are bright. No one's going, all right. Well, I'm going to pray over our church and pray that these things will be true of us. And uh, please come back next week because this is kind of part one. Part two is coming next Sunday as, I, as we begin to look forward at the things that I believe God wants to do in our midst this year. Would you stand, church, as we prepare our hearts to respond to our God and worship together? And if you, if you feel comfortable, you can just open your palms in front of you and stretch them out in a posture of receiving. Father God, we thank you that you are present here. This is your church. We are your people. And you have purchased this people with your precious blood, with the blood of your son. Father, you care what is happening in this community. God, we count it such a privilege that you make your people at the very center of your purposes for this world. And Father, I pray that you would help us to catch a vision of what it looks like to be your people in this part of the city this year. Father, I pray where there is lingering confusion and apathy and frustration that is hanging on for the last couple of years, I pray, God, that we would be able to draw a line in the sand these next two weeks and step over into a fresh season where we feel free and empowered to be your church. Father, I thank you for all of the promising statistics that are coming. And, and we know that we're not bound to stats, but God, they... They point us to the fact that you are doing something in our nation and in our city. That there are a generation of people who are spiritually hungry and thirsty, who are longing for a sense of transcendence, meaning, purpose. God, would, would you call us to meet that need? Father, I thank you that you have uniquely empowered every single person who who worships you in this room. You've uniquely gifted every single person to play a part. You've given everyone a plate size, capacity. You've blessed people with resources. Father, now I pray by your Spirit that you'd be bringing things to mind, ways that together as your people, we can step into this. Ways to serve, ways to lead, ways to give. 
Father, I pray that you would be bringing people to mind right now who are far from you, friends, family, co-workers, colleagues, neighbours. Father God, we believe that you are at work in this city, drawing people to yourself, opening the eyes of the blind. And Father, I pray that you help us to see the ways that you are already at work and what it means for us to step into that. Jesus, for your glory, for the good of our city and for our joy. We pray, come Holy Spirit, fill us, strengthen us. We ask this in Jesus' strong name and God's people said in one loud voice, Amen.